all of us are digital. All of us are on, well, for the most part, are sharing things on a platform. And sometimes it's Twitter. Sometimes it's Instagram. Sometimes it's LinkedIn. So go wherever your customers are. Go to the social platforms and follow them. And people say, Brian, you're stalking them. And that's, I don't like to use that word, but I guess that's an equivalent word. What you're doing is you're professionally selling to them or you're, 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 you're getting buy signals to understand what is the organizational doing so that when you are reaching out to them, there's value because you know exactly they are talking about whatever it is. And again, for our example, you know, for you, Derek, as you mentioned, you know that someone is apt to having this conversation because guess what? They're probably talking about digital transformation on their, on their site or person's talking about it. So then you can say, hey, rep A, like it, comment on it. To your point, you mentioned that at the beginning. But part of it is too is leveraging that connection. So if you have a warm connection where someone knows someone there as well as, hey, someone posted something, referencing that article to say, hey, I got a lot of value out of that article you just reshared. Here's my point of view. And if you find this uh, valuable, would you be open to a lunch conversation or a coffee conversation where we could just kind of exchange ideas? Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. This is your host, Derek Russell. I really think this episode is going to be so exciting for all of you because if you are interested in the most modern perspectives and how to collaborate, share, and advocate ideas using emerging digital environments, today's conversation provides a theater for you to learn and understand how to tighten up social and relationship protocols to extract maximum value for your customers and audience. Brian Galicia joins us on the podcast today. And if you were to meet Brian or listen to any of his many keynote talks, you would walk away with his infinite expertise and passions around turning relationships to revenue. And Brian is very serious about this. He spent nearly 13 years here at Microsoft working in roles in areas all around and pertaining to business applications, which are technologies such as ERP, CRM, and other business automation and integration platforms and tools. He's currently a global sales leader for sales automation and LinkedIn here at Microsoft. He comes from a sales engineering background, but brings with him experience in sales management, sales, and pre-sales roles, both technical and specialist focused. And just taking a jog around his LinkedIn profile, you'll see that he's collected a number of performance awards, the most recent being fiscal year 2018, which is the year I joined Microsoft, Circle of Excellence Platinum Club, which is Microsoft's most premier award program for top contributors in the organization, which is pretty impressive. We talk about an entire host of provocative sales technology culture-related topics, including how to turn relationships into revenue by driving modern selling conversations, why Microsoft purchased LinkedIn in the first place. I know a lot of folks are confused by that, but I think there's a lot of clarity offered in this episode about why that took place and the value offerings that these joint organizations are creating for customers across products. The power of using social selling platforms to deliver commonalities in this exchange of dialogues and how we talk to each other in these environments. And frankly, how to do that, how to, how to start some of these dialogues and how to pull value away from those dialogues and accelerate some of these conversations. We talk about the properties of a successful seller in a growth-minded organization. We also talk about the role that sales managers and the sales leadership team should be playing in this ecosystem 
and things that they can do to empower their salespeople, as well as some blocking and tackling within the world of LinkedIn free and paid sales navigator editions. I really hope you take a ton of information away from Brian today and that you, at the very least, take away one new challenge and approach your corporate day just a little differently with some of the lessons that you hear from him. If you haven't done so already, please rate and leave a comment about the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and conversations. The episode is also available, of course, on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. Without any further delay, I introduce you to Brian Galicia. Brian, welcome to the show today. Thank you for joining. Hey, thanks, Derek. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And then quickly, when I first got hired, they sent us and I got hired through a graduate recruitment platform program for Microsoft. And they sent us all up to Redmond. And we had all these executives that they called and they had brought the executives in and they all gave us presentations about you know, career advancement and, and what they've done at Microsoft and all these different things. And you had one of those slots. And I remember specifically, you started talking about modern selling and LinkedIn and using dynamics and what it means to be a modern seller and building relationships using social media. And that was two years ago. And since that day, I've always wanted to just talk to you and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks ago, I think we met, uh, I was on coming plane. back on the plane. I was coming back from the bathroom <laughs> and I saw you I'm like, hey, hey, Brian. And you're yeah, like, hey, what's right. up? Sat next to you. Then we had a one-on-one. That's right. We did. For the rest <laughs> so, of the plane ride for like an hour and a half. That's Yeah. And, and this was the outcome of that, that one-on-one on the plane ride. So please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be at Microsoft and what you're doing today. Oh, thanks, Derek. Uh, to give a quick shout out to the program, uh, as, as Derek mentioned, if you haven't heard of the Microsoft Academy of College Hires, that's basically what we refer to as a mock program. And it's a great opportunity if you're a student or a graduate student like Derek was and looking for opportunities. Just a kind of quick plug for that program. It is such a fantastic program because it gives early in career, early stage opportunities to fantastic people like Derek and others um, to, to learn more about Microsoft and make an impact. And to your point, Derek, yeah, I had the pleasure of being part of that. And I still am where I deliver a business application point of view on what business applications mean to customers and how we can sell that value. So my role um, at Microsoft is all things related to how do we drive business value of turning what I like to refer to as how do we turn relationships into revenue? So my whole job at Microsoft, which I love, is giving sellers like Derek, I'm a former seller in the field myself and a sales leader. How do we drive a modern selling conversation with customers in conjunction with all the things we do at Microsoft, which also includes now LinkedIn. And people think, and I'm wearing this uh, jacket uh, specifically for the day, because people think, oh, Brian, do you work at LinkedIn? I actually don't. But when we acquired LinkedIn about a two, two and a half years ago, I was slotted into this great, fantastic opportunity to help grow this portion of the business. So I've been at Microsoft, it's hard to believe, in August will be 13 years. And so within my entire background, and we'll talk about my profile, my background resume, but when you think about what I've been doing, it's all things related to business applications. So um, either in a sales role or in a pre-sales role and have even dabbled in implementing a business application at prior companies. So this topic that you are talking about, Derek, how you do this podcast, your approach to modern selling, 
I was so excited about uh, uh, getting on the, the the phone with you because you're doing all the things that we'll talk about in this podcast. You're doing all the things that we try to amplify or me, myself, try to share with customers as to you have to make this digital transformation change because your competitors are doing that. And your sellers, if you're a seller and listening to this on the phone call, guarantee if you aren't doing some of the best practices that Derek and I are going to talk about, your competitors are. And if you aren't doing it, you're, it's a, it's a, you're giving your competition an unfair advantage when you shouldn't have to. And I, I love how you said that, that the turning relationships into revenue. And I, I took a line away from your LinkedIn profile that I did some research on. And <laughs> right there in the middle of the profile is empowering customers to turn relationships into revenue. That's right. And, and, and you're very passionate, extremely passionate about this topic. And before we dive into the, the tacticals and the details why are you passionate about this, yeah. this, this topic? What, what ignites that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is because uh, <laughs> it was funny. Derek and I had this conversation, a brief conversation before we uh, started recording. Part of it is when I really started to leverage LinkedIn, and granted, LinkedIn was founded, if it's hard to believe, I mean, it's only been around since the early 2000s. And so when you think about LinkedIn and the value proposition compared to all these other social tools that are out there, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, etc., they all offer unique capabilities to just create a digital connection. But LinkedIn, by far, for anyone listening to this podcast, if you're a business-to-business seller and your whole job is to drive personalized relationships and value to customers, LinkedIn is the best platform to do that. And so for me, when I was using LinkedIn in the early, early stages, I was probably, I mean, I think the thousand member. I was in the, it was in the, I was one of the very first adopters. And part of it was I was interested in how relationships can be put together. But I realized not just for a job point of view to get your name and brand out there, I really started to realize that, wow, this is a great way to stay connected with business professionals, people you've worked with, or your customers in a digital way. And when I was turned on to Sales Navigator, which is the, and we'll talk about this, the best version of LinkedIn for sellers, a couple years ago, I was one of the very early pilot users within Microsoft, way before LinkedIn was acquired by Microsoft. We were utilizing Sales Navigator ourselves. And so when I was trained and really started to utilize that, I, a couple years ago, it transformed the way I sold. And it added much more value to customers because it wasn't me just trying to sell them something. It was more of gaining insights and gaining um, uh, buying signals to really come out and find out how do I have a conversation at the right time, at the right place with a person, if I think that person could receive value. And people appreciate it because people want to talk to people, but they only want to talk to people when they don't feel like they're getting sold to. And so for me, being passionate to your point, Derek, on, on this topic, I truly believe that what we are offering with LinkedIn and within broader Microsoft, there's so much value that customers can get can can gain from that just by the simple task of unlocking the relationships that exist on LinkedIn within their entire company organization. And when you say every single time you say sales and selling, you know, I think it really it's tends to scare people away. Like it's a scary word, right? Like sales, yeah. selling. Yeah. And another way I like to position it is advocating. Like how are you going to advocate for your ideas or make your ideas better well known or become more of a practitioner in your field so that Instead of trying to pitch someone, you're building a relationship through credibility and through trust and through knowledge. And the LinkedIn as a tool, you've mastered. I mean, there's so many different layers that you can go down, but 
I'd love for you to talk about what that modern selling aspect means to a customer and how they should be thinking about it in today's terms, knowing that they have all these different tools and all these different systems and knowing that some of them don't even have CRM systems. That's right. Uh, A lot of these folks are working remotely. We're in in this world where buyers are so much more educated. We have these digital platforms. Like, What are your thoughts about that seller, that person, that customer? Yeah, that's right. And I I appreciate you mentioning that because selling can sometimes have a bad rap. But my point of view is, even if you don't have a title of a seller, my argument is that everyone has to sell. Because if you're in IT, if you're in marketing, if you're a programmer, if you're in your support, whatever you all you have, my argument is you're still trying to sell yourself because you're trying to sell your ideas. You're trying to sell your value. You're trying to sell yourself for a promotion or a, a raise. Whatever that is, we all sometime in our lifetime, business or personal, we're trying to sell something, value, or again, whatever, all the things I just mentioned. And so when I think about what you just said, Derek, I think a lot of it comes down to it's adding value at the time that people need it. Because sometimes people, when you think about it, when you get these calls, and we've all experienced before, and back in the day, and probably day myself, my parents used to get all these unsolicited phone calls all the time at their home. Someone would call up and say, hey, uh, I'd like to sell you something. All these uh, tele teleprompter, uh, I mean, tele telemarketing um, agencies calling people. It always happened at the wrong time, dinner time or something where he's like, uh, and you pick of up course. the phone because we didn't have caller ID. We didn't have all these things that now, most of the time, I usually ask the question of people, like when you get a, and, and, and Derek, appreciate your opinion on this too. For me, and when I talk to senior leaders and executives all the time, I always ask the question, when you get a phone call, like right now, if you're it just, you're at, wherever you're listening to the podcast, let's say right now you got a phone call on your, on your cell phone and you did not recognize the number and not it wasn't it the up. same thing. What <laughs> happens? Yeah, exactly, Derek. I, don't, I, I meet very rare people that – I haven't met very many people that actually picks up that phone call, and neither do I. Or you get an email, same thing. We all have either business or personal emails, and of course, when you subscribe to a distribution list, it gets you promotions. It's a consumer thing. I totally get that. But in scenarios where you get a mail from someone and it's unsolicited, how often do, does someone open that mail and actually respond to it? I would say it's very, very low. And so that being said – when you think about access to what your customers or you yourself have access to, we're all in this digital world of feedback loops because when's the last time you went to a restaurant and you didn't go into Yelp as an example to look at what rating do they get? Or another Never. example is when you buy something and we're all in the digital age where, and I was just saying, cause I'm working from home. How often do you see the Amazon delivery guide drop off your thing at the front, at a front porch or your neighbor and you see that everything's going digitally and, how often do you research an item and you go to Amazon and you see, oh, did other people buy this? And what was their feedback experience? I know I mentioned consumer-based examples, but you think of that in a business sense, same thing is happening where someone, whatever you're selling or whatever value proposition or product or service you're selling, if you're a seller or listening to this phone call or podcast, there's something that people are doing online to do all that research way before they're talking to you. And even if you try to call and sell someone something, as I mentioned, if you don't know them, if you don't offer that value and they feel like they're just being sold to, I guarantee that the probability of you having a successful outcome to that dialogue is much lower. 
So all the things that we're talking about, and this is the reason why I'm so passionate about this, is we're on this pre precipitous of that uh, value chain of who's going to be the early adopter really leveraging this to add value. Because at the end of the day, not only is it going to help you, your customers are going to appreciate it because when you get buying signals from things like LinkedIn, simple things like job changes or something that someone's posting online and you engage with them digitally, not that you're trying to sell to them, but you're trying to figure out, is there accretive value to the dialogue, kind of like a cocktail hour or you meet, go to an event and you just meet people that you haven't met before. It doesn't start with, hey, let me sell you something. Never does it start with that. If it does start with that, you kind of get it turned off and you go, okay, let me go over here. I have to, I go have to take a call or go do something. It usually starts with, hey, let's just have a personal conversation about what your interests, what are your likes, what are your dislikes, or certain things that you're up to that may then lead to a conversation about maybe something that you can, you're selling. So long way to start. I know that was a long answer, but I think it really comes down to, and this is the, the, the emphasis of this conversation, Derek, is how do sellers and why in a podcast are we talking about modern selling approaches? Because that's what customers expect. And that's what makes you as a seller and all the great work you're doing, Derek, that's what distinguishes your value to customers versus your competitors that go in and just try to go to a straight sale and say, hey, I'm just going to randomly call you at my convenience, not your convenience, and try to attempt to try to sell, sell value to you. It unfortunately doesn't work that way anymore. It has to be, am I reaching out to you with some value? And I, have I set up the right uh, type of environment to where they know you? Simple things like liking a comment on a social aspect of their posting things on Twitter or LinkedIn, maybe about Game of Thrones or maybe something they ate or whatever they're posting or interest in is being able to drive that, that, that dialogue and, and conversation. And the words I, I heard from you that got me excited and it, it makes so much sense as you're starting to construct this story about why this is important. It, you mentioned adding value at the time a customer needs it. So there's a, a time function, there's a valuable function, it's access. And there's this feedback loop of how, how folks are actually entertaining some of these things, some of, this, some of these value metrics that you're proposing to them. And I, I pulled some, some data off of a couple different uh, white papers, I'm just going to go through and I can put the, the links into the, the show notes so we can, we can begin to socialize. But one of them mentioned there's six data-driven reasons why social selling or modern, modern selling, and maybe we could dive deeper into social selling in a bit, why it's it should be embraced by every organization that has a sales organization or every organization that's trying to advocate ideas. And some of these you just covered right now in just machine gun form. And one, it's the, the purchase process is just, it's completely changing. Like the, yeah, like I have not gone to a restaurant without checking Yelp tenaciously, vor voraciously before going <laughs> eating at the restaurant, right? Just like yeah. actually reading comments, looking at dishes, yeah. it's research online. That's part of that. You know, yeah. buyers are more educated. Uh, robots taking over. So more of the relationships with the enterprise and, and uh, in a B2C or even a B2B configuration will be done through machines and automation. Mm -hmm. So people are becoming more important because it's more of a rare occurrence. There's more decision makers. Um, people who are social selling usually have a greater quota attainment um, right. because they have these, 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 uh, these uh, thoughts and the, the way that they're interacting and they have this digital thought IP that's existing and working for them, so to speak. And then finally, there's just larger budgets. Uh, people who are on social media, 
usually have larger budgets. They're usually, you know, 57%, I think it is, of LinkedIn is used on mobile. Uh, 45% of LinkedIn users are in upper management. I mean, so you're seeing a lot of activity in the upper ranks. Um, and I think that's all coming to fruition with some of the things that you're saying, right? That's right. And um, I, I think those highlights of AI, because I know that artificial intelligence, machine learning are all things in your wheelhouse. The one thing that I think is really interesting that I didn't mention in my prior comment is things, simple things like, what if you can unlock the power of the relationship to all the people in your organization in a private, secure manner? Because we know that, of course, with all the security and privacy issues that are top of mind that we consciously think about at Microsoft and even LinkedIn. The critical thing, though, is what if you can harness the power of your network to drive these warm connections and relationships? Because as I mentioned, the likelihood of someone picking up the phone if they got a random phone call and they're like, ah, I don't know who this is, goes to voicemail. And the likelihood of getting a callback, very, very low. But let's say, Derek, that we've never met before, but we have, of course, but let's just say we didn't. Leveraging a connection of someone that is maybe that we share in commonality, but let's say, for example, that I may not be connected with at, the, at Microsoft because Microsoft's so huge. We have over 130,000 employees. But imagine me tapping into the network of 130,000 employees to reach out to specific people. That's a pretty powerful statement. And what, the example that people ask me all the time, okay, Brian, what does that really mean? So you think about, I just mentioned, we have, we have 130,000 employees globally, including Derek and I, across Microsoft and LinkedIn. And imagine being able to harness those, that network to where if I went to the city of New York or Manhattan, most, I'm, I'm sure that most people listening to this uh, have probably been there. Imagine walking off the airplane and immediately knowing every single person as you're walking around from the TSA agent to your Uber Lyft driver to your person checking you in at your hotel to someone walking their dog in Central Park. The power of that network is pretty astounding. And that's what happens when we go into conversations, especially me and my role, when I talk to executives and people pull me in from all over the world to pull me into these types of conversations. My, sometimes Microsoft sellers get so surprised going, how did you know that these relationships existed? And more of it is we're trying to transform ourselves within Microsoft. It's just awareness of the fact that we have these data tools that gives us information to know who knows who, who knows the people that we're trying to have conversations with, which in turn help you, specifically you, Derek, because I know you're a practitioner of this, helps you as a seller because guess what? Rather than you trying to randomly reach out to someone, you're leveraging a warm connection that may exist. Hopefully, if that relationship's good, it gives you a higher probability of a successful dialogue, at least the first conversation, because you still have to be a good seller. You still A tool is just a tool. It's not going to make you the superstar seller, but it will elevate your capabilities because you're giving access to something. The second thing when artificial intelligence machine learning really comes to play is the statistics you were, you were mentioning on that conversation. Most of the time, studies have shown that when you are selling your service or solution, there are more than five people involved in the decision-making process. And that's critical. And I'm sure people on the phone or on this podcast listening to this would appreciate that, that not, unless you're a small business, there's many people involved in a buying decision because it's complex. And so as sellers, the one thing that's always challenging is how do we navigate an organization and start to understand this, this person reports to this person, this person is influencing this person. Unless you have someone's organizational chart, which unless you built that trust, no one's going to give that to you. What if you can utilize LinkedIn or relationships to understand the lay of the land to say, if Derek 
does this, here are all the other five people or 10 people or 20 people that may be in a sphere of influence where it just gives you names of people that you think you need to be talking to. That's really where the harnessing and the power and the effort of some of these things come in and where artificial intelligence machine learning comes in because when then you apply that to business applications, you apply it to machine learning, you apply it to productivity with office or teams or other things, that's where I think it offers some very, and not to say you have to use all Microsoft, but if you did, that's our value proposition of where we're transforming organizations that have bought into this uh, vision because we own the capabilities of trying to drive this modern transformation uh, for sellers um, in the future. I'm always running into people who are like, why did Microsoft buy LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. And they're very confused. And I really can't, I just, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, it's like religion. You just believe in it yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the folks that are religious. You, you just use something that you just know in your heart is real. And the more that you believe in it, the more that you can utilize it to create change in your life. Um, you know, another, another quick statistic from this, this Hootsuite blog is 87% of business to business buyers say they would have a favorable impression of someone introduced to their professional network. That's right. So you're going beyond just getting intelligence on folks looking at where they went to school, looking at their resume, connecting with them, sharing content. You're going into this new world of, well, let's take a look at what AI can do to reason through all this data and figure out all the different connection points of how you know this person, why you should be talking to them. If you're talking to a VP of operations, maybe you should be talking to you know, director of customer experience that just so happens to work with that VP of operations. So now right. you're closing a loop on that conversation. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the LinkedIn acquisition and what you're seeing? Because this is, people really want to know this. Like, why is it so powerful to be collaborating with LinkedIn and to Office, with, into Dynamics, into all these different? I know we're going yeah. Microsoft deep, but this is, I think this is important. It is, yeah. Because you always get that, that question because when people who, knew, who know about the fact that Microsoft acquired LinkedIn, we acquired LinkedIn for $26 billion. And you, you wrap your head around that $26 billion. I wish I had $26 billion. That's a lot of money to yep. make an investment and say, and it's not about Microsoft acquiring uh, LinkedIn just to acquire LinkedIn. It's about the, the value that we can then in turn provide to our customers. That's always how I think about it. It's like all these acquisitions that Microsoft ever makes, the hopefully the return is, it's not what Microsoft's getting. Well, of course, shareholders and stock and all that stuff, that's important. But at the end of the day, because you and I are selling to customers or uh, providing value to customers and they were trying to understand how do I take this capability that Microsoft now owns and apply it to everything else. It becomes important because LinkedIn has over 600 million people as uh, on the platform. And so what I mean by that, LinkedIn refers to this uh, terminology of you, me, all the people probably listening on the podcast, we all have LinkedIn profiles. So what we're considered uh, on LinkedIn is called members. So there are over 600,000 members including you and me, Derek, that contribute to the efforts of building business professional networks, conversations, engagement, et cetera. Because whether or not you're actively utilizing LinkedIn or not, my argument is if you're a business-to-business -business professional or you're just a professional in general, you need to have a profile. And it needs to be a profile that isn't resume-based. Well, it can be if you're looking for a job, but you and I, Derek, we're not looking for jobs. I'm totally happy at Microsoft and I love what I'm doing. But part of it is it's exactly what you talked about. You go to Yelp, you go to all these things and people are doing research on you. So 
the idea is that when you go in and have a conversation, guess what your buyer is trying to do day one? They're probably going to your LinkedIn profile to look at what you're doing. And so you have to make sure, we'll go into this more detail, but you have to make sure it's a resource, not a resume. So going back to your point of LinkedIn and that value, the biggest, so I mentioned 600 million people. So imagine giving that to not just a seller, but anyone in the organization where that insight was valuable. So simple example, you and I, Derek, because we were at Microsoft, we have the luxury of getting access to all these great capabilities day one. And so one thing that is a hidden, it should be hidden, but one value proposition that I find that customers don't realize is simple things like you get an email from me, Derek. And most of the time when you go, oh, I don't know, do I know Brian? You, what typically people do is they open up another application, i.e. A, probably a browser. They go into LinkedIn, yeah. they sign in, and they probably type in Brian Galicia in the search title, and they get the details. So you might think, okay, yeah, Brian, that's, that's easy to do. It takes a couple seconds. I'm a fast typer. Totally agree. But what if you can unlock that information to where you, Derek, just have to hover. You're staying in Outlook. You just hover over my name, that contact card in Outlook, and LinkedIn shows up there. That what I what I find is that for users that offers so much value because it saves a it's, pro, it's productivity savings because they get that insight right there. Two, it makes a more personal digital digital experience because if we hadn't met before, it gives you a sneak peek as to who am I as a person, and which goes back into why a res or a profile is so important, not having it be a resume. But that one example is what a lot of people go, wow, that offers tremendous, just something as simple as that, and it's free. Granted, you have to be running Office 365 to do that, but that simple example offers tremendous value. Another, another good one that I'll share. I did that like four or five times just this morning, real time on a customer call, hovered over the email address on the meeting, LinkedIn popped open, went to the card, selected them, sent an invite, done. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's just making it so much easier, but it gives you the insight. Another good example, and I know I mentioned, hey, you're you're not you're LinkedIn. Uh, uh, of course, their their whole premise initially was hey, it's a great place for people to find jobs. And so imagine opening up Word, and of course that's probably the standard tool that everyone uses to create a, a resume. Imagine again going back to AI machine learning. What if we can harness the power again? Privacy and security still applies here, but what if we can anonymize the information and say, hey, Brian's a director, and somehow as I build my resume. Of course, it pulls that information out to say, hey, you're building your resume as this type of person, whatever title you have or role, and LinkedIn can be pulled in so it looks at other people's profiles in LinkedIn and say, hey, maybe you should borrow some of the stuff that someone else is posting here because they have the exact same role as you. So that type of integration points, and again, those are just a few simple examples that we're doing across broad Microsoft that gives accretive value to customers who may be utilizing LinkedIn, whether you're paying for the service or using it for free, and then apply that to all the things we're doing at Microsoft. And it's not just this point in time, we are constantly innovating to figure out how does LinkedIn add value across many different scenarios, talent, learning, marketing, selling. How do we continue to evolve these scenarios so that users who may be utilizing LinkedIn or and maybe other tools or Microsoft tools how do we put all these things together so users can get tremendous value out of the platform? And you're flying around the country, Brian, and you're, you just hosted an event at the Angel Stadium where you spoke and uh, heard that went really well. And you're meeting with these you know, massive customers, Fortune 500 customers, it's incredibly big sales forces. And I'm just wondering, you know, for folks that are listening and even for my own benefit, 
I'd love to pose a, a quick case study to you. Sure. Maybe not a case study, but just so to, just let's just start thinking about an ideation session around a customer's journey, uh, um, selling journey. You have so you have this you have this person that we can call her Jill, and she just gets hired into a business that sells business to business, um, and she's on that team. They may have a CRM, they may not have a CRM. Um, she doesn't have a very updated profile. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a, a portfolio of customers that she owns that she knows about, and maybe it's, it's it's housed in a spreadsheet. And she's given a quota. She's given four you know four quarters to get to meet this quota. She doesn't know any, the brand new industry to her. She doesn't know any of these customers. How would you consult her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how she's using these tools and take it wherever you want to take it. It could be real time. It could be a future state, today's yeah. state. But what does that look like for you? Yeah, I love it, Derek. I mean, that's a great because it's funny you say that because there are organizations like that where that happens all the time. And I mean, you experienced that when you came to Microsoft for the very first time as part of the mock hire process where you were given a territory. You you live in Southern California. Someone says, hey, Derek, here's a quota. Here's a laptop. Go after it. Yeah. And so you're going, oh, where do, where do I start? So imagine that exactly what you said. And I'll just use the example of, let's say you don't have CRM. Even if you did have CRM, I, I'm making the assumption that your organization is least invested in Sales Navigator. Mm-hmm. And even if they didn't, I'll talk about that too. But I, the, the highest thing is because I mentioned LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the best version for sellers. And I'll explain why Sales Navigator is important. So day one, if I was a seller... I would scrutinize my profile. And again, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, whatever tools you're given, if people say, hey, given this tool, it's going to increase your probability of the best seller ever. That is a possibility. But what I would say is that if you're a sales manager or sales leader and listen to this phone call or this podcast, giving someone a tool does not make them immediately a rock star seller. I would say first and foremost, you have to have the selling personality, whether you're a seller or not, because they're great sellers that you and I have experienced, Derek, that didn't come from a selling background. They came from R&D. They came from consulting. They came from support, mm-hmm. but they just are passionate. They articulate. They ask the right questions. They have the selling mentality and personality. So first and foremost, you have to have that personality. And let's assume this person that you're mentioning, this, this, this woman has that. So from there, first thing I would do, even without paying for anything, you need to scrutinize your LinkedIn profile. So it is a, it is a resource friendly environment. So what I mean by that is when you go to websites, how often do you go to websites and you go in and you go, oh, that was disappointing because you have this big expectation, uh, let's say at this grandiose restaurant, and we'll use a restaurant as an example, saying, oh, wow, this is a fantastic experience. I'm going to go there and I'm going to love it. You go to their website for the restaurant and you look at it and either A, there's no website, or two, you look at their website and it looks like it was built in the 1990s. Yep. And you go, oh my gosh, there's no pictures. It's not a personalized experience. Like what I would even get from it. How do I contact you? Imagine as a seller, the same thing happens with the profile. And then we do touch on on this, but I, I always tell sellers, especially new sellers at Microsoft, you have to make sure your profile is resource focused to where a professional picture, the title or the summary invites them to say, this is what you do. It's not what your title is. Because as Microsoft, we have tons of titles. We have SSP, CSM, you name it, and you get this, Derek. God uh, knows, yeah. We have so many acronyms that like it confuses me sometimes. And unfortunately, we're guilty of this too. At Microsoft, we still have people utilizing SSP. And I know what that means. You know what that means because you're an SSP. I used to be an SSP and also an SSM, a sales manager. But customers don't know what those mean. And so 
a big no-no is when people says Microsoft SSP as part of their summary, they're like, no one's going to know what that means. So a better conversation, exactly you, you led with that, Derek, is empowering customers to turn relationships into revenue because that's an action and value that people are going to go, huh, I have relationships. I want to turn it into revenue. Let me read more. It's kind of like that above the fold thing. So then the summary has what I can offer to a customer. It's not about accolades of success I've had at Microsoft. Granted, I like to share that because it gives proof points and validation of the things I'm doing. But at the end of the day, I don't want to, to be the emphasis. The emphasis is about who you're trying to attract to have a conversation with you. So it should always be about them, not about you. And that's a tough thing to have because sellers like to tout their accolades. But I always tell, and I used to do this, but I always tell sellers, you have to turn that around. You have to be focused on your customer first because that's what's gonna invite them to have a conversation. And then critically, you have to post content. So what you do, podcasts, insights, things are happening in the industry. So you're attracting people to go, okay, I wanna learn more about Derek. Wow, Derek seems like a very authoritative uh, expert on machine learning, artificial intelligence, replatforming on cloud platforms. Well, that's really interesting to me. Specific to financial services, manufacturing, whatever it is, it's inviting them to go do something with an action called action. So once you've done that, then you have to then take the approach of, okay, where are you going to spend the time? And as good sellers, before you do anything, you have to do your research. And so if you have, let's say, a book of business of six accounts, 10 accounts, or a territory, you have to start to identify who are my A, B, C, D accounts. And, and I hate to say that uh, because, of course, customers are going to be listening to this too. But at the end of the day, where are you going to focus your time and energy? Because you're going to focus your time and energy on areas where you have success in, either because you sold your customers, your company has sold that value to customers like of that like-minded scenario. So identify what your value proposition, the playbooks you have, what accounts you're going to sell to you and who you're going to sell to and start to create that value proposition pitch of the assets, the, the, the messaging, all things you're going to start to use. As a quick example, for me, that looks like the willingness to, to digitally transform. Yeah. When I'm when I'm when I'm categorizing, I'm like, you know, who which customer wants to go? Which one wants to to change and really face the face the challenge of possibly being disrupted and and fail fast, fail forward and really start doing some some industry leading activities to get there. And that's how right. I categorize, which in it people do it differently, but great, great suggestion. Yeah, no, that's great, Derek. And I, I think to 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 complement that, it again goes into again, assuming that you have LinkedIn or paid LinkedIn, you have to start following the people. So meaning that when you know the company, like bottom line is if you are accountable for a territory or at Microsoft, like you are, you have a base of X number of accounts that you're accountable for. You know exactly where you sell because you have X number of accounts that they said, hey, Derek, go sell these accounts. So pretty straightforward. You might seem that's like, oh, Brian, that's obvious. Unfortunately, that's not so obvious sometimes for sellers because they get caught in the weeds of, okay, I'm just going to do all this heavy work to do this research at the time I need it. And I would argue when you start your, your fiscal year or whatever selling process you have, at the beginning of the year, or whenever you start your selling engagement, you have to take inventory of who you're going to go sell to and do all this research up front to A, identify, to your point, Derek, start to strategize which one you're going to go to and then start to follow them. And the reason why you follow them either in free LinkedIn or even better, paid LinkedIn with Sales Navigator is then you start getting insights because once you follow people, Guess what you, you start getting, especially if you're getting if you're paying for the sales navigator capabilities within Microsoft, yeah. you get alerts. 
You yeah. get things that are happening at that company or a person you're talking to, they may post something and exactly your point, is someone open to digital transformation? Well, guess what? All of us are digital. All of us are on, well, for the most part, are sharing things on a platform. And sometimes it's Twitter, sometimes it's Instagram, sometimes it's LinkedIn. So go wherever your customers are, go to the social platforms and follow them. And people say, Brian, you're stalking them. And that's, I don't like to use that word, but I guess that's an equivalent word. What you're doing is you're professionally selling to them or you're, 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 you're getting buy signals to understand what is the organizational doing so that when you are reaching out to them, there's value because you know exactly they are talking about whatever it is. And again, for our example, you know, for you, Derek, as you mentioned, you know that someone is apt to having this conversation because guess what? They're probably talking about digital transformation on their, on their site or person's talking about it. So then you can say, hey, A, like it, comment on it to your point. You mentioned that at the beginning. But part of it is too is leveraging that connection. So if you have a warm connection where someone knows someone there as well as, hey, someone posted something, referencing that article to say, hey, I got a lot of value out of that article you just reshared. Here's my point of view. And if you find this uh, valuable, would you be open to a lunch conversation or a coffee conversation where we could just kind of exchange ideas? And notice that conversation is slightly different than me saying, and not to say you did this, Derek, but the conversation that I unfortunately see at customers or even sometimes at Microsoft, hi, my name is Derek. I work at Microsoft. I'd like to talk to you about Azure. You, if you got that phone call, even if someone picked up, you're going, wait a second, Derek at Microsoft Azure, like, what is, what, what's even Azure? So it's that conversation that you have to take it different that makes it more valuable to say, hey, I, I, you posted something I thought was valuable. Here's my point of view where I think this adds value to you because we've had this, I've had the same conversation with people just like you where we've addressed this area that you've commented on to where here's my point of view. If there's commonalities where you think there's value in an exchange of dialogue where at least it would start out digital conversation to a offline or a in-person conversation, that's how I think about it. That's where value comes in because social sometimes gets a bad rap. You mentioned that, Derek. People, especially sales leaders, depending on if they're experienced or they maybe not have utilized LinkedIn in the past, don't be uh, scared off by the term social. I know that's scary because you think, oh, sellers are just going to spend their waste their time on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Not about that. It's about buying signals where it's like a newspaper. You're getting a personalized experience so that your sellers are using their time wisely to understand the pain points of what their customers are doing to then if they're a good seller, they then understand their value proposition to then apply that to what that person is sharing or company is sharing to then have that conversation that may hopefully turn into, as you go through your sales process, may turn into a successful business outcome, which is a, a buy or a purchase of the value proposition. But it doesn't stop there. You then have to nurture that relationship over time. That's the best thing about LinkedIn is even if you haven't met that or you haven't talked to that person five years ago, guess what? Once you get connected with those people, you they see the things that you're sharing. And so what you do when I do, Derek, and we talked about this on the airplane ride, the value of connecting digitally on LinkedIn is you're building that lifetime relationship so that no matter what you're doing, if you change roles or whatever you're doing you, and you post things on a consistent basis, guess what? You're staying top of mind. You're staying connected with the people digitally. So if and when something you're posting resonates with a person you may have had a conversation with five years ago, even if you're not their seller anymore or the person you're accountable, that's fine because you're still providing a point of view that 
that there's seen value in that you at least can have exchange and conversation in, in the dialogue. So Jill starts up in Q1 and she's creating this killer profile. Boom. She's got that. Uh, she's, she's posting content. She has a strategy. She knows which customers she wants to go and try to help digitally transform because they're eager to, and she has her own metrics behind how she wants to help advocate ideas and, and help her customers execute against their challenges. And she's, she has a sales navigator profile all lined up. She's following all these different customers, the company, the actual leads. Um, she's looking at what they post. She's being very smart about what they're posting and commenting. She's also sharing content to those people relevant to the things that she's posting. But now, if you could put your 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 SSM, your sales <laughs> management hat on, you know, Jill's got managers who are on LinkedIn, and unfortunately, they don't really understand this new era of social selling because they just didn't have to sell in that in that arena, or they're just yeah. not buyers of it. And they see all this activity, and they're going to her and saying, "Hey, what's your impact?" you sold anything? Like, what have you done? And they're, they're being kind of coarse with her about her activity and what she's doing. And I see that a lot, maybe not in our own organization, but in others about folks that just don't believe in it. They just don't believe this is real. And, you know, as a manager, how should you be looking at this? And, and what coaching could you give other managers and, and executives that don't believe in this idea? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing I would share with that from a manager and sales leader perspective is if you yourself aren't embracing that, it's really tough to argue the value of it because you're not using it every day. And granted, a sales leader has a different role because they're coaching. They're Mm -hmm. trying to drive, is my seller focusing the right time and energy on the things that are going to drive value to the customer, but ultimately turn into revenue? Um, but I would say that sales managers can do a couple things. One is if they're finding out that their sellers are driving conversations digitally that are turning into customer conversations, even if it doesn't uh, end up being a, a, a source of revenue, if at least is driving that conversation to where they're building that relationship, because long-term wise, and I have all these stories where even if you can't sell them something day one, you can't have this short mind. And this is where the tough thing is. You can't have this short minded point of view to say that failed because sellers, we are, of course, quote, uh, quota. We, we, we are driven metrically by quarter by quarter or even month by month. And I get that. And so part of it though, is you have to also take the long-term approach to say, if I establish a strong relationship with this person, it's going to pay off six months down the road, maybe a year down the road, or maybe two months down the road, because you're gradually adding value before you can, kind of withdrawal any value from a customer. So the way we understand, is that driving value to yourself? If you're a sales manager going, okay, Brian, I'm skeptical. Is this adding any creative value? First thing I would ask is, is, is it driving value to where that person is establishing a really strong connection of that organization? If they are, then you know it's working because the relationships, before anyone buys anything, they have to trust them. And so if that trust doesn't exist, and granted, I know if you're a B2B, a B2C seller, it's transactional, different story. But if you're high, if you're in B2B, business to business, and you're driving relationships, you have to establish those relationships first before someone's going to ultimately buy anything. And then the second is, what if you as a, as a sales leader embrace the same thing so that as your sellers commented on things and you saw to pay attention to what that was happening... Imagine you as a director of VP of sales. What if you also engaged in that conversation with the customer? Imagine how the customer felt the fact that 
oh, wait a second. Wow, VP is actually, VP of sales is engaged on this. I've seen at Microsoft as well as customers that elevates the dialogue because then it feels, the customer then feels like, wow, it's a all-in approach, not just the seller trying to sell me something. The full organization is behind trying to provide the best customer experience uh, possible and that value. And what I've seen really good sales managers do is they use video, like kind of what we're doing today. They wouldn't do a, a, a podcast like this, but they would get on a video maybe for two minutes and create a personalized connection. Say, hey, Mr. Customer, thank you for investing time with my selling organization. If I can offer any help through the evaluation process, or let's say it's a post-sale, let's say they just closed a deal. Even better, and my manager and I used to do this, send a personalized experience saying, hey, thank you for your business. If I can help out at all, please engage me through this, this, and this. Guarantee that customers get value from that because then they feel like they just didn't get sold to. They bought into this experience that then like, why wouldn't I go with anyone else if I'm getting this big experience through uh, the conversation that I'm having with Microsoft or whatever company you're working at. So hopefully that helps. I know social is a scary word, but part of it is if you find that it's adding value to driving relationships, it's a positive thing. If you find that they're just on Facebook all the time and commenting on groups in Facebook, if that's not where your buyer's at, then then I would be suspicious about where that seller's investing time. But if it's on LinkedIn, high value in that engagement. That's great feedback because I I don't think folks talk enough about what sales executives should be doing and how they should be coaching and and they should be they should definitely be a part of that journey. And maybe it's a different it's a different persona, it's a different right. design thinking exercise for how they engage. It doesn't look like them reaching out and trying to get leads, but it's there's definitely a level of of the, the Bloomingdale's touch that they can bring to the engagement um, with the customer to make it more real and more personable. Um, and I really like that you that you went down that road. Taking a little bit of a step back and understanding that we only have a couple minutes left. The future of selling. What's just some thoughts from you about who's going to make it, who's not going to make it, mm-hmm. and what differentiates the good from the bad? I know we've talked a lot about a lot of really uh, modern selling tactics and social selling and all these different things, but do you see a trend that just comes to you when you think about, when you talk to someone, you're like, this person's going to be successful, this person is not. Beyond just mindset, you know, is there something that bubbles up to the top when you hear some of those different comments? Yeah, I think a couple of things, Derek. I think one, it always comes down to our, it's kind of the mantra we have at Microsoft. Does that person have a growth mindset? And we all have to experience that. And in case you don't know what that term is, it's basically being open to learning. And if you haven't read the book, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, I highly encourage anyone to read it. Granted, I mean, it's it's a little bit of philosophy, but also a great pointed point of view to say why, what's the difference between a fixed mindset and, and, a, and a growth mindset? But that being said, I see always successful sellers uh, a combination of a couple things. One, they just are personable. They have the ability to connect with people through conversation. And so that's why I mentioned, if someone had LinkedIn and did all these great things about their profile, doing all the things, the best practices we talked about, Derek, that is a necessity that has to happen. But again, if you're a sales manager or you're a seller yourself and trying to think about, like, can I be a good seller? I would say that it depends. Like you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Like you and I, very passionate, but you also have to ask the right questions. You have to have the right conversations and think very quickly on your feet about if a customer is telling this, saying this, 
how do I translate that to where I have good listening skills? Because if we're talking more than the customer, that's never a good thing. But if you ask open-ended questions that then allows the person to articulate what they're experiencing or challenges they're experiencing, a great seller always has the opportunity where they understand end to end their value proposition or portfolio to then translate that to customer value. But then even better, if you have a good seller that does all these things but doesn't use LinkedIn, because I still see that, I, I would argue that you, it, it's hard to train a seller to go do something differently. And I would never argue to try to change a behavior of a seller to go do something if they're successful. If someone's successful at doing something, great. But if you have a growth mindset and it's kind of like the Patriots and the Grand, I'm not, I'm a Seahawks fan, but imagine the Patriots and they just settled for the fact like, Hey, Tom Brady, I'm good. What I did. And I won one Super Bowl. I'm good. No one has at the Patriots level has that mindset. They all have, how do I do it again? How do I do it again? How do I do it again? And that reinvention of a seller or a sales leader, people always reinvent themselves every year because they realize, okay, if I just stay status quo, I might be good at what I'm doing for a while, but that's not sustainable. What's sustainable is looking at what other people are doing and being open to, wow, Derek is crushing it this year, reaching out and saying, hey, Derek, could we have a conversation about what you're doing? And if you're open to it, most good sellers would, they're saying, ah, this is what I did. That's the first start of it. Just connect with people who are finding success, asking them, hey, what are you doing? And then be open to that tough criticism or tough feedback to go, huh, I'm not doing that. Maybe I should. And then allocating and investing the time to go practice something new or go do something new. That's where I think the success comes in. And then all the things we're talking about with social and leveraging that, because if you're not utilizing social in your bag of toolkit for sellers, I would say you're missing out. And the more sellers that listen to this podcast and start to make that transformation, you're not going to be in, you're going to be the laggard. So you don't want to be that. You always want to be on the transforming edge and the average or above. And so trying to ensure that if you're doing, if you could do all these things now, that's why I would say you're at a head start because in people I engage with at customers at Microsoft, we still don't have the full traction of sellers embracing this. And once that happens, then it just becomes the norm. Like everyone uses email. It's pretty straight, straightforward. Everyone now uses the cloud. It wasn't like that a few years ago, but everyone has, everyone has a mobile phone. It becomes a standard. Pretty soon the standard is everyone utilizes social because they have to. But it, right now, because social, all the things we talked about, social is not one of those things that are mainstreamed yet in a selling world. The people who embrace that early and often are going to be the ones that are going to transform that. And the last thing I'll, pause, I'll, I'll close on, Derek, is we, I, I can't remember. I think we talked this on the plane. The whole thing about practicing this, it's kind of like working out. I'm not a fan of working out, but as I get older, uh, you can't do the flash in the pants of, oh, I'll work out for a week and expect results. Yeah. Results occur when you are efficient in having the mindset of doing it on a consistent basis. It's not the fact you have to work out every day. It's consistency. So if you work out at least three or four times a week and you do it for a year, I guarantee you're going to see results. And the same thing happens with some of these modern selling techniques that I've talked about. You can't just say, hey, I'll do a profile, Brian, I'm done. I'm like, your profile has to be living and breathing on a daily basis as well as how you use social. It can't just be, I post something once in a year and then you're good. You have to create a cadence and a rhythm to do this on a very uh, routine basis. And once you do that, then that's when you see, you could see results. 
you're a wealth of knowledge, Brian. I mean, I could, I could, I, we, I could just go back and forth with you all day. Um, I think we should definitely have you on another episode in the future to, to talk about some loose items or things that we weren't able to, to cover. And this stuff changes all the time. People got to follow you. So I'm going to put your LinkedIn profile into the show notes. People just can click on it, follow. I'll post some stuff online, of course, on LinkedIn about some of the, the, the best parts of the, of the talk. And uh, this was this was an awesome episode, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on. And a lot of people um, get a lot of coaching from you. Really believe in what you're doing. Give it a tremendous amount of energy. And we're just so happy to have you at Microsoft. We really are. Hey, Derek. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the shout out. Thank you for anyone who listens to the podcast and making the time. Please do not hesitate to, uh, as Derek mentioned, I am very involved on various social channels. If you find value in this, I'd love your feedback. Like. Hey, what, what things are you doing? Uh, then you listen to this, what takeaways did you have? Or what are things that you're doing maybe with video? Cause we didn't touch upon video very much, but I'd love to know, Hey, what are you as a seller successfully doing? Love, love the feedback. I'd love to hear the feedback and, and, and learn from you guys. As I mentioned, I have a growth mindset. I, at least I try to have to have one. So love to hear from what you took away from this podcast. And again, thanks for having me, Derek and love what you're doing. Keep up this great work of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank and, you. Uh, Thanks again. Good luck in uh, closing out Q4 because it is Q4 for us. So, Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.